Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Good morning. It is good to see y'all. Happy Memorial Day weekend. If for those who uh, may not know me, my name is Nick Jonkowski. I'm the associate pastor here at Mosaic Church. And uh, if this is your first time joining us in a couple of weeks, you are taking an early uh, Memorial Day weekend break from church, let me just quetch, catch you up quickly on where we are at in our series. We are in the middle of a teaching series called How to Read the Bible. And over the past few weeks, we've been examining practical tools and ideas to help us engage more fully with God's Word. And we've talked about things like divine revelation, more specifically how God has revealed himself to humanity. And then last week, Pastor Jason led us in an important discussion talking about how the Old Testament is still relevant for our lives today as believers. And we're going to continue that conversation this morning as we dive into another important topic as it relates to God's Word. But before we do so, I'd like you to join me in a word of prayer as we invite the Spirit of God to speak to our hearts. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, our hearts are oftentimes, as we say, pulled in so many different directions as human beings. Thoughts of our work week, thoughts of family and friends, relationships, Things, so many different things that pull at us and pull us in different directions. But Father, we take all those things this morning and we lay them down at the foot of the cross. We say, Jesus, take those things so that we may focus now on your word. And we invite you by the power of your Holy Spirit to be present in this place this morning to speak to our hearts, that we might leave here differently than when we first arrived changed and transformed more into the manifest image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for that and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, I wanted to start this morning by sharing with you uh, back in time, going back into my childhood, one of my favorite memories as a kid. In fact, one of my favorite places to go as a kid, more specifically, was to my grandma and grandpa's house. And if there's any grandma and grandpas in this house, can we give them a round of applause? Because they are awesome. We love our grandma and grandpas, right? And I went to my grandma and grandma's house for two specific reasons. One, I loved going there because every time we would roll up to grandma and grandpa's house, grandma would inevitably meet us at the front door with Rice Krispie Treats. Now, I'm not talking about these, those like hard, like store-bought pre-packaged Rice Krispie treats. I'm talking about homemade, fresh out of the oven, ooey gooey Rice Krispie treats, right? The ones that like your fingers are sticking together after you eat them and you've got chunks of marshmallow and Rice Krispie dotting your face and on your clothes. They were absolutely legendary and my sisters and I look forward so much to eating those Rice Krispie treats when we went to Grandma and Grandpa's house. That was the first reason. The second reason we loved to go to Grandma and Grandpa's house was because they were in possession of one of the greatest toys that my young mind could fathom at that age. They were in possession of an original set 
of Tinker Toys. Yes. Now, I recognize that there are some in this room who are of a certain maturity that know exactly what I'm talking about when I say Tinker Toys. And there are others in this room who have no idea what a Tinker Toy is. So for those who are kind of like, what the heck is a Tinker Toy? Let me catch you up very quickly on the magic of Tinker Toys. Tinker Toys were these long sticks of different kind of varying widths and sizes and different colors, and you could attach them to a rounded wooden connector to build almost anything that you could imagine. And when I say anything, I mean you could build squares, triangles, and stick people out of it. But nonetheless, it was still amazing. And my sisters loved going and playing with Tinker Toys for hours on end. Or at least we did for a while. Because as I got older, the magic of Tinker Toys slowly began to fade and wane from my life. uh, They were what began as originally an unbridled source of creativity in my life as a child. As I got older and became a teenager, slowly began to feel more irrelevant and outdated. What started out as something that we could just spend hours playing no longer held a candle compared to the modern technological trappings of my youth. I mean, who wanted to play with Tinker Toys when I had a Game Boy and a Sony Walkman on my hip? Right? And now I've just totally dated myself and told you how old I am. And what was true of my experience with Tinker Toys, I think, mirrors similarly my experience with God's Word. Because as a child, I remember, right, hearing these stories about global floods, about giant fish swallowing a man whole about harrowing escapes from a lion's den, a God-man who would walk out on the water. And it just captured my imagination and it filled my little heart with wonder about who God was. But then as I got older, those same stories began to feel strangely outdated and irrelevant to my modern life. What started out as a great bedtime story as a child seemed to become distant and out of touch with my life as an adult. And I think much of my personal disconnection stems largely from the text of the Bible, which deals largely in language and imagery of that of shepherds and sheep. Kings and kingdoms, right? Apocalyptic prophecy. It deals with ancient religious rituals. Now, I don't know about any of you sitting here, but I have never personally met a shepherd. And the only sheep that I can say I've confidently ever encountered was at a petting zoo, let alone being able to understand and decipher how moral proverbs and parables crafted from an ancient agrarian lifestyle fit or help me guide or navigate our current cultural context on issues such as marriage, social media, human sexuality, politics, and race. And this divide that seemed to be growing between the text of Scripture and my life as it exists in 2023 created an uneasy tension. It creates a tension in my faith journey with Jesus. More specifically, I'm left with a question often wondering, what do I do with the Bible? What do I do with the Bible? Where does it fit into my life in 2023? How do I use the Bible? 
Is it an accurate and reliable source of wisdom upon which I can base my identity and formulate my existence as a human being? Or is the Bible better served as just an ornate paperweight to sit on my desk and look nice when I, people come into our house? And that is the question that we're wrestling with this morning. And I would imagine, I would hazard a guess that as I look out in the audience, there are probably those here this morning who would be able to raise their hand and say that I've had similar tension or questions about God's Word. That you've had similar questions about where does the Bible fit in my life. And I can tell you, and honestly, if that's you, you are not alone. As a pastor, Jason and I talk with people all the time who will willingly confess their trust in Jesus, but are far less certain about what the Bible is and how it fits into their life. And I think that a lot of our modern uncertainty as it relates to the Bible and its relevancy or lack of relevancy to our lives is a result of an identity crisis that our culture has with Scripture. And this identity crisis, unfortunately, extends both inside and outside of the church. And so what do I mean when I say identity crisis for Scripture? I mean to say that when we pick up a Bible and we hold it in our hands, we don't know exactly what it is that we are holding. Is it the authoritative Word of God? Is it an ancient history book? Is it a fictional morality tale? And we hear all the time today from our society that the Bible is nothing more than a tool of the patriarchy to control the masses, right? I mean, that is the narrative and some of the identity crisis that swirls not only inside this room, but also outside in our culture regarding what is the Bible. And when we lack this sense of certainty about what the Bible is, is, it tends to reduce its standing within our culture to individual subjectivity. It's reduced down to a level of individual subjectivity. In other words, we tend to treat the Bible like a buffet. Or if you're Pastor Jason, you say buffet. If you don't believe me, ask him someday and listen. It's funny. He says buffet. He doesn't say buffet. It's buffet. But we tend to treat the Bible like a buffet, right? We get to pick and choose what I like and don't like from the Bible on the basis of my own atomistic feelings, experiences, and appetites. For example, we might say, I like scriptures that tell me God loves me. But we all too often will disregard scriptures that say God is holy, we might say, I like that Jesus died for my sins. That makes me feel so good inside. But we disregard Scripture that says Jesus calling us to lay down our lives and sacrifice our lives to follow after him. And so I think if we can come to a place this morning where we can agree in part that the Bible is suffering from an identity crisis in our culture then we are left with answering the ultimate question this morning of what is the Bible? What is it? What is the Bible? And the question matters greatly because, hear me on this, ultimately, how we choose to answer that question will not only shape your understanding of Scripture, 
but indeed it will shake, shape the entire course or trajectory of your faith journey. How you answer that question, what is the Bible, not only shapes your understanding of Scripture, but it sets the course for your entire faith journey. Is the Bible a divine guidebook that's applicable to us now in the 21st century, or has it gone the way of the tinker toy, right, and is just a relic of a bygone era? The good news is, church, is that God has answered that question for us, amen? Because in the Bible, it actually defines its nature, meaning what is it, and its purpose for us very specifically. In fact, in the book of 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul writes just prior to his execution a letter to his protege Timothy to help give him some final instructions before he goes. And in doing so, Paul answers definitively for us, then answers this question, what is the Bible? And so if you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn with us. We're going to be reading from 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. And we're going to explore what the Apostle Paul has to say about this important question. And so it says um, in 2 Timothy, which we'll get to in just a moment, but let me give you some background while you're turning there. Paul, as we already said, is in a prison in Rome. It's a dark, damp prison, and he understands that his time on earth is short. His days are numbered. And so before he goes, he wants to write one final letter to his understudy, Timothy, to pass along some final instructions. Because Timothy is going to follow Paul. He's going to undertake Paul's work and his mission of discipleship and church planning. And so Paul begins to pen this letter from a dark and damp prison. And I want you to think for just a moment. If you knew you were going to die, if you knew your days were numbered and you had an opportunity to write one final letter to a loved one, what might you put in that letter? What kind of things might you say to your loved ones if you had one last chance to do so? You might tell them things like, I love you and I miss you and give them encouragement and final instructions. And that is exactly what Paul is doing in 2 Timothy. He's giving Timothy instructions to remain strong in his faith, but then is also pointing him to specifically the firm foundation upon which his faith rests. And so Paul says this regarding standing firm in his faith. And when he says this, he says one of the most important statements in Scripture regarding the nature and the purpose of the Bible. And so let's look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. We'll have it on the screen as well if you don't have your Bibles with you. He says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, if we were able to have Paul come up on stage this morning and stand in front of us, and we were able to ask the question to Paul, Paul, what is the Bible? He would respond by telling us the Bible is God-breathed. And we might respond in kind by retorting, thanks a lot, Paul, that's clear as mud. Appreciate that. So what does Paul mean when he says that the Word of God is God-breathed, that all Scripture is God-breathed? In an easy way to understand Paul's phraseology here, 
is to think about wintertime in Wisconsin. Now look, I, when I was writing this out, I'm like, I don't know if I should even say this, but I'm going to go there for just a second, okay? I know it's almost summertime, and the mere mention of winter is mildly trauma-inducing for a lot of us in here. But I'm going to ask you to refrain from hurling your Bibles at me. When we say what is the Bible, it's not a projectile object to throw at the pastor, okay? Um, I want you to momentarily just step backwards just a few months. And I say momentarily, we'll come back to summer in just a second. But momentarily step backward just a few months to the cold and the snow of like January, December time. And when we think about the cold and the winter in Wisconsin, one of the things that happens when we go outside is when we speak, what happens? We see our breath, right? We see our breath coming out of our mouth. And that is a reminder to us that we literally uh, breathe when we speak. Our words are breathed out of us. Your breath passing over your vocal cords, conditioned with your mind, expresses itself in speech through your breath. We literally breathe out our words when we talk. That's why when somebody who is talking too much, we say what? Take a breath. Take a breath. Take a breath. You're going to suffocate if you don't uh, quiet yourself down for a little bit. And so when Paul writes Scripture or the Bible, when Paul writes that Scripture or the Bible is God-breathed, what he is saying in this moment is that the Bible is God's literal words breathed out of his mouth for humanity. So we, along with Paul, can say to answer the question, what is the Bible? The Bible is God's word or God's words to us. And this is the big idea that I want us to grab onto this morning when we say that the word of God is God's word for all people. The word of God is God's word for all people. But church, this morning when I say that, that if we say the Bible is the literal word of God, that is a huge and very bold statement, isn't it? That's a big thing to say, that when we hold the Bible, we're literally holding God's word. And so that has very specific implications for our lives, which we'll get to in just a moment. But if you're like me, it should also raise another very important question that perhaps you might be wrestling with. And that is, if the Bible is the word of God, if the Bible are the words that God breathed out to humanity, how is it then that we can know with confidence that the words that are actually recorded in the Bible are God's words? How do we know that? Paul says God breathes out his words, but how do we know when we open the Bible that we're looking at God's words and not something that man wrote? How do we come to that, especially when we know that it was human authors who penned the original manuscripts? And so in order to help shed some light on this possible conundrum or this very real question that we might have as we encounter the Bible, we need to look elsewhere in Scripture. We need to specifically look at the words of the Apostle Peter from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. And this is what Peter writes in this verse regarding Scripture. He says, Above all, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by a prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as though they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And what Peter is saying here is important, and we need to be clear about this. Peter is saying that the Bible or the Word of God is not something that was created or written out of human understanding on the basis of human bias or on the basis of human intellect. More specifically, what Peter is telling us is that the Bible is not a human invention. Man did not sit down, some dude did not sit down and just think one morning, I'm going to write a story about a guy being swallowed by a whale and, and have that be prophecy for the future of, of the church and what Jesus is going to do. More specifically, he means that the Bible is not a human invention. Instead, he says that the Bible, the authors of the Bible, the men who wrote down the manuscripts, the original manuscripts of Scripture, were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And again, we've got some weird terminology here that might feel foreign to our modern ears. Similar to when Paul says God breathed out the Word of God, when Peter says that they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, that that sounds weird to us and foreign to our modern ears. And so what specifically does Peter mean when he says these writers were carried along by the Holy Spirit? Well, in order to understand that, we need to flip back to the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, the writer uses the exact same terminology, the exact same terminology to describe a ship that's being driven along by the wind. And so check out what this says. It says in Acts 27:15 that the ship was caught by a storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and we were driven along. And so what he's saying here, in the same way that a ship is pushed forward and is driven along by the wind, so too the authors of the Bible were carried by God's Spirit in writing down the original manuscripts. And so this is a big theological concept that Peter is referring to in this moment, and as well as Paul is in 2 Timothy. It's something that is known as divine inspiration, Divine inspiration. And divine inspiration sounds big and it sounds scary and it sounds super boring, right? There's a lot of books written on that. But let me sum it up for you very briefly. Divine inspiration means this, that while the Bible was penned by human authors, God breathed through them by the power of his spirit in such a way that what they wrote in the original manuscripts were the exact words that God wanted recorded. They were the exact words down to the very last jot and tittle that God wanted recorded in the Bible. And so we can say this, having now understood 2 Timothy and 2 Peter, that when we answer the question, what is the Bible, we can say now, not only is it the Word of God or the words of God for humanity, but that it is the divinely inspired Word of God for humanity. The Word of God is God's Word for all people. Also important for this to understand is what scriptures are inspired by God. Because there's a lot of debate in modern culture, even in modern Christianity, of what scriptures are inspired by God. Some people say, "Ah, this verse or this content or this theme is inspired. But what is inspired 
Word of God. And so in order to get that understanding, let's go back to our original text in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, because it's here that Paul writes this. He says, all Scripture is divinely, is God-breathed, is divinely inspired, all Scripture. And so let me help you out a little bit with this word, all, that's going to shock you, okay? In the original Greek language, when you go back and do study, you can go to school for four years to learn this. In the original Greek language, all means all. <laughs> hey, you guys don't even have to go to seminary. You got it. All means all. And why that matters is because what Paul is saying here is that every word, every word that has been written down in the Bible is divinely inspired as the Word of God. It's not just a few verses or simply verses that we like or want to attach to our lives. The Bible is not a buffet that you can pick and choose what you like or do not like for your life. The Bible, according to Paul and Peter, is the inspired word of God in its entirety. Either it's all inspired or none of it is, according to Paul. And you cannot pick or choose. He leaves no middle ground and no gray area for us to stand on when it comes to God's word. There's no gray area. He says every word is inspired by the Spirit of God. And this has some big implications for our lives. Because if the Bible, the nature of the Bible, is uniquely trustworthy and authoritative. The Bible is uniquely trustworthy and authoritative for our lives today. And why do we say that? Because Scripture tells us very plainly that God is trustworthy. And if God is trustworthy, His Word is trustworthy. Scripture tells us that God speaks with power and authority. And if God acts in power and authority, then his word is uniquely authoritative for our lives. And so if God is who he is and the Bible is his literal word, then it is trustworthy and authoritative for our lives, regardless of which century we may find ourselves in. God has given us the Bible as his divinely inspired instruction manual. And it, but the question remains then, what is the instruction manual for? What are we actually supposed to do with this instruction manual? And again, having now answered the question of the nature of the Bible or what the Bible is in 2 Timothy 3, Paul now shines a light on his purpose. So let's jump back to 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 and look at what uh, Paul says. Again, he says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says that the purpose of the Bible, that God's word being breathed out for humanity, is to teach and instruct us as his followers. And then he leans into three very specific areas that God's word has the trustworthiness and the authority to lead and guide our faith. And the first thing that Paul says is that God's word is trustworthy and authoritative to rebuke us. Oof. That's something nobody likes to hear, including myself. And the reason is because we have such a negative connotation when it comes to the idea of being rebuked. Not one of you woke up this morning and said, golly, I hope I get rebuked this morning. That would be so awesome. 
But what Paul is talking about here, if we separate from our modern understanding of this idea of being rebuked, what Paul is talking about is that the Bible, as God's divine manuscript or guidebook for our lives, has the power and authority to correct us. It has the power and authority to correct us. As God's literal word, Scripture has the authority to reveal when our thoughts and actions are harmful to ourselves or to others. And to be honest, we need that. If I'm honest, I need that. Because the truth is, I think I'm right like all the time. You could ask my wife if you don't believe me. (laughs) She knows that to be true. She does set me right. That's true. (laughs) Most of the time. And the Bible, if we think about it that way, acts as kind of a warning label that you might see on a box of poison. It helps to keep us from ingesting beliefs or actions that are harmful to ourselves and others. It's a warning label to correct us and guide us. And so that's the first thing that Paul says the Bible is useful for. And then he says that if the Bible is useful for showing us where we are wrong, he says that it also is useful for showing us where we are right where we are correctly pursuing after God. And that's what Paul says, means when he says the Bible is useful for correcting us. And this idea of correcting is a very practical term. When you go back and you look at, at, at uh, Greek culture um, and Greek secular literature, that term correct was actually used if an object had fallen over to set it back upright. Or it was used to describe somebody who perhaps had stumbled and fallen and giving them a hand to pull them back up. And so the Bible, as God's divinely inspired instruction manual for us, not only shows us when we're wrong, but it helps us to set us back up right again. And then finally, Paul tells Timothy that the purpose of Scripture, the final purpose, is for training in righteousness. It's for training in righteousness because the Bible has the power and is the the trustworthiness of God to instruct us and equip us for every good work that we uh, encounter in life. Not only for those who are reading Paul's words in the first century, but for us as believers now today in 2023, the Bible has the authority and the power to guide us in every good work. It instructs us how to live a godly life. And here's the key that Paul is kind of getting to. He says that if you want your life to look more and more like Jesus in the everyday stuff of life, when you're at work, when you're at school, when you're interacting with family members and friends, if we want our life to be more reflective of Jesus who lives inside us, Paul says you need the Bible. You need God's word in your life. It's no different than the person who says, I want to get healthy and doesn't start to exercise, doesn't start to eat eat healthy or go to the gym. You may say that till you're blue in the face, but until you actually start doing something about it, it doesn't change anything. And it's the same that is true of God's living word. When we ingest that, it changes us, it transforms us. When we saturate our lives in that, it begins to make us more and more into the manifest image of Jesus. And the result of this purpose in our lives as believers is to help us grow more and more mature in our faith, to help us be proficient in life, fully equipped and enabled, as Paul says, to do every good work. 
God's word has within it everything that we need to follow and live godly lives. And I love this quote by John Piper. He's, if those who don't know, John Piper is a pastor um, who's written many, many books, so he's a lot smarter than I am. But he says this specifically about the Bible and about us as followers of the Bible. He says, we are people of the book. We know God through the book. We meet Christ in the book. We see the cross in the book. Our faith and love are kindled by the glorious truths of the book. We have tasted the divine majesty of the word and are persuaded that the book is God's inspired and infallible written revelation. Therefore, what the book teaches matters. So we see from Paul's writing in 2 Timothy um, 2, that the Bible is far from being a tinker toy. It is neither outdated nor irrelevant for our lives today. In fact, given all that is going on in the world around us, I would suggest that we need more of God's Word in our lives and not less of it. We need more of God's Word. Our lives need to be saturated with the Spirit of God and with God's Word. And God wants us to rely on the Bible as His divine instruction manual for not only correcting us, but leading us to what is right and equipping us to do his good work. The word of God is God's word for all his people. And so as I was thinking about this today and writing this week, I was reminded of a story of Don and I early on in our uh, dating relationship. You see, when we first met, I lived in Wisconsin, and Don was still trapped in the horrible place of Illinois. (laughs) And so anytime I would go down to take Don out on a date, I was supremely reliant on GPS to get me anywhere I needed to go, primarily because I was super stubborn and would never tell my wife where I was taking her, but always wanted to surprise her as where we were going. Don't awe yet. Wait till you hear the story. <laughs> and so on this particular occasion, I had decided that I was going to take Don to the Cheesecake Factory. And so I went and picked her up. And we got into the car. I plugged it into the um, GPS, and we began to drive. And we drove. And we drove and we drove up and down side streets, through neighborhoods, until the GPS finally landed us at our destination, which, according to the GPS, was some nondescript house in some random neighborhood somewhere in (laughs) Illinois. And I will never forget, as we pulled up to this house, Don kind of turning and like looking at me quizzically like, you're bringing me to a house. I don't know what kind of girl you think I am, Pastor, but that's not me. (laughs) The funny part was is that not only had we ended up in the wrong location, there was not even a cheesecake factory in the area. (laughs) And I had put my faith and my trust in the wrong map. And so uh, James uh, Smith, who's also a pastor, had a, a fantastic quote about putting our faith in the wrong map. And he says this, Our culture often sells us on faulty, fantastical maps of the good life and paint alluring pictures that draw this, us to them. All too often we stake our, the expedition of our lives on them, setting sail toward them with every sheet hoisted in the wind. And we do that without ever thinking about it because the maps work in our imagination and not in our intellect or our spirit. It's not until we are shipwrecked shipwrecked that we realize that we have trusted in faulty maps. 
And so we've said this morning that the Word of God is God's Word for all people, that, that the Bible is a divinely inspired manuscript that shows us when we're wrong, helps us to correct us, and, and equip us for every good work. But the problem is, and, and, and this is me as well, all too often because of my own misconceptions, because of my own sin, or just because of the belief that I know how to do things better than God, I trust in my own maps as opposed to God's word. I choose to rely on what I think to be true instead of what God has said to be true. And so when we stake the expedition of our lives on these faulty worldviews, on these faulty assumptions, we end up lost in searching for cheesecake factories that don't even exist, down roads that promise to offer us life but offer nothing but death and destruction. And so that leads me this morning to ask this question. What are the maps that you're following in your life? What maps are you following in your life? What are the worldviews or the assumptions that you allow to steer the heart of your life? What ship do you jump on and follow as you go and say, this is going to bring me hope and happiness and love and peace and joy? What maps do you follow in life? Because I would guarantee and, and say to you that if you are in a place in your life or in your faith where you feel shipwrecked, either now or perhaps in the future, that you have staked your claim in a faulty map. And one of the things that I would challenge you to do is that if you feel that way this morning, if you're recognizing for the first time, oh God, I've put my faith in the wrong thing, I've trusted the wrong map, one of the ways that we can help to reorient ourselves when it comes to reading God's word is just to stop and ask ourselves, am I relying upon God's divinely inspired word as a roadmap for my life or am I trusting myself or something else? And that question serves as a compass for our lives that helps us to reorient back to true north when we get off course. It calls us back to a place of remembrance that we as believers need to saturate our lives in the Bible to allow it to fill us, to allow it to transform us and to make us more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. That as we hold the Bible, we're not just holding some fictional work, some historical document, but we are holding the words of the living God of heaven and earth in our hands. And that he has given that word to us because he loves us and because he wants us to follow him and to be corrected and to be equipped and to be right as we pursue him. So what map are you following this morning, church? If it is anything other than the word of God, I exhort you this morning to set that down and pick up God's map. God's word is, uh, is, is his words for us as his people. And so follow after that. Will you pray with me this morning? Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.